This morning, the text is Acts 17, 32 through 34. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thank you, Sarah. <clears throat> well, I know she said it. Let's see, let's see the, those who grew up in church. He is risen. All right. If you didn't grow up in church like me, you felt like an outcast right there. So congratulations. Um, or the first, my first Easter, I was like 17. They kept saying that. I was like, cool, cool. They're like, that's not how you're supposed to respond. Um, so, hey, my name's Sean. I'm uh, the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. If I don't know you, um, love to get to know you. Uh, welcome. Redemption Church is, we're one church. We're spread, through, spread throughout the state of Arizona, and we call ourselves congregations. So each congregation is elder-led and lead pastor-led. So it's not like we're anti-campus or, you know, satellites or anything like that. It's just not how we operate in our philosophy. So um, at this specific congregation, we, uh, myself, I'm a leader amongst leaders. We have five elders that lead this congregation. Uh, you might have questions about that, how we operate. We'd honestly love to, to help you navigate any of those things. So uh, myself and some other leaders will be by the Connect desk, which is as you walk out in the cafeteria to your right, uh, you can come up and ask us some questions. I will tell you this, though. Uh, we normally, what our, our normal DNA is, is we're going to preach through books in the Bible, go through them chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're going through the book of Jonah this year, and then also doing Philippians and Exodus all this year. But we're going to, um, after today, going into next week, right before we start the book of Jonah, we're going to take a Sunday to talk through depression and anxiety and what the Bible has to say about it. Actually, Tyler Johnson is going to come in and uh, talk to us about that. And uh, we're going to give some next steps going into the summer, how us as a church can kind of respond to some of that. We feel like it's a huge epidemic. I assume that so many of you guys know somebody that, or you yourself are struggling with that. And it feels like a taboo at times. And we want to just acknowledge that there's a lot of men and women, and even in scripture who struggled with this and a lot of godly men and women today who struggle with it and trying to navigate. It's not always easy. So we're going to devote a Sunday to talking through that and also some next steps. So I'm going to uh, pray for us here in a second, but before I do, I just kind of want to start with um, what we're doing here and why it's important and why it matters. And the reality is I want to put in front of us uh, that the resurrection, it doesn't just matter for the believer, but it also matters for those of you who are here in this room right now and are only here because it's kind of the once a year family thing to do, go to church. You don't really want to be here. I would contend with you that the resurrection matters both for the believer and the non-believer. So for the believer, let me just remind you, if you are, are here right now and you say, I follow Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, whatever it is, whatever language you would use, let me just remind you that what we did on Friday night, if you were in here, maybe you're not even familiar with what that is, is um, on Friday is kind of this celebration or maybe an opposite of a celebration, a mourning, a lamenting of the death of Jesus Christ. Even though he was Christ, Christus Victor, he is our victor uh, in Jesus Christ. At the same time, there's a struggle that we feel or felt as his disciples that we go, so he lost, right? There's this element that you on Friday night have Jesus dying. His disciples go to sleep and go, okay, well, he said he's going to come back. Maybe not wake up Saturday. What are we supposed to do? Okay. I'll go all through Saturday. Maybe not wake up Sunday. And even at this point, some of his disciples go, you guys, we must have missed it. And they actually go out and do what they used to do. And so Sunday happens, Sunday takes place, and it confirms something that's really important for you and I as believers to know. And that is when Jesus died, he meant to die. That he decided to die. 
And so we, we Rolodex in our mind and we look back to Friday and we go, man, we're mourning it, but now we should see it as a victory. We should see that it was intentional, that what Jesus does in the resurrection is show us that everything he's been talking about, even his resurrection, was confirmed. The fact that the Holy Spirit's going to come. Matter of fact, I made a list of all these things. Listen, because Jesus is raised from the dead, believer, hear this, death no longer gets to control us. It controls everyone else. It doesn't control us. Sin really can be beaten because of the resurrection. You don't have to be a slave to sin. Because of the resurrection is true, those who trust in Jesus will be saved. You will be saved because of the resurrection really happened. Uh, happened. There really is a church that really does fight Satan. There really is a church that goes against the gates of hell. That, that is true. In John 14, the fact is that we believe ultimately the Holy Spirit came. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come and he came and it's confirmed. First Timothy 3.16, it says he's vindicated by the Spirit. We know that the Spirit came because Jesus was raised from the dead. And ultimately, we know he's going to return because he rose from the dead. So for believers, our faith is encapsulated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why two some billion people will gather in churches, auditoriums, schools. They'll get together and they're going to sing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it's where our hope lies. If the resurrection isn't real, nothing else matters. Now, that's also why for those of you who are in the room who are non-believers, the resurrection matters. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, in our faith, in our worldview, uh, Paul says that uh, the resurrection is part of the gospel. And if the resurrection's not true, then the gospel's not true. And so if you're not a believer in here, hear me, and you can stand with all integrity by yourself in your heart of hearts and go, I've done the work. I've done the legwork and the research. I've searched out to look at the resurrection and I can verifiably I say with all integrity, no, I know it did not happen. Then you are right to not be a believer. You are right. But if you haven't, and you go, man, man I, I don't know. I don't know. Or, or to be honest with you, as, as someone who struggled with this immensely and has done the work, and you go, you know what? My work was shoddy. I should probably revisit it. If it's true, it demands our life. I love how C.S. Lewis, he, he puts it. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true, of, an, of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Christianity cannot just be, I think it's a big deal. I, I'm not sure. I'll figure it out. So I want to talk about that. I want to dig into that. And we're going to go into Acts 17 here in a second. But let me pray for us first. And then uh, we'll, we'll launch in that direction. Father, thanks for your time that you give us here on this earth really is yours, that uh, we get to breathe the air we do and think the thoughts we have and uh, the words we say. There's a gift from you. There's a lot of people in this world who don't get such gifts. And so now we um, focus our minds and our hearts, our eyes to the text, our ears to what you have to say um, so that we may know you more. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's where I want to start us uh, to launch us into Acts 17. Um, and I hope this sets a pretty good trajectory for us. So uh, I don't know if you guys remember reading this, but back in 2017, a school district in Mississippi decided to pull to kill a mockingbird from the reading list for uh, the junior high and high school students. And if you're not familiar with the, the Kill a Mockingbird, it's, uh, it takes place, it was written in the 60s by Harper Lee, and um, it takes place around the Depression era in a small little town that struggles immensely with racism. And the Mississippi school district decided to pull, to pull uh, the the book from the reading list because this is what they said, and I quote, it makes people uncomfortable, okay? 
Now, outside of the fact that everything in our culture is offensive, the way we breathe, and I don't even know what to do anymore. Sometimes I think I'm not being offensive, and I end up being offensive by not being offensive. Regardless, just putting that on the side, the fact that the Mississippi School District would say it makes people uncomfortable is hilarious when it comes to the Kill Mockingbird. Hear me. The reason to kill a mockingbird was written was to be offensive. That's the whole point of the book. It was like for generations, we've been reading it to unearth the wickedness within all of us. He's like, she's pointing out in very creative ways, even microscopic racism within all of us. That's, that's what generations before us, they've been talking about. And what happened in this moment was a modern day people said, we don't want to ask the questions the people before us have asked. We are, in a sense, comfortable. And when we read that book, it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us ask questions that we don't need or want to ask. And so the reason I start with that is I'm going to read it from a text that is thousands of years old, like more than a thousand years old, easily, almost 2,000 years old. And as I read from this text, um, if we can use as a rubric um, uh, uh, to kill a mockingbird, and we can kind of see this to go the same way to kill a mockingbird has this timeless truth for people in the 60s and people in 2019, that we're going to see ourselves in the text and see our hearts revealed about what Paul is doing and what he's saying in there. That's the hope of, of ultimately what I, what I want to accomplish. So here's where we're at. Um, this guy named Paul, he's been planting churches, starting churches. How he got saved is crazy. He, gets, he ends up uh, hearing Jesus' voice, seeing him. So he follows him, and he's starting these new churches. He's, he's putting leaders in place. He's talking to people about Jesus everywhere he goes. And eventually, he ends uh, up in Athens. And Athens is past its heyday. It used to be this Mecca where Plato, Aristotle, all that. It's past its heyday. It's a good place still known, maybe for art and beauty. It's probably, I would equate it to like a place like Boston today, where a lot of things happen in Boston, but it is what it is now. And so, so ha- and they have the Patriots, which makes them the worst. And so, and so Paul is in Athens. He's with his boys there. And they go off, and they go somewhere. And so Paul waits there in Athens, and that's where our text is going to pick up. In chapter 17, uh, verse 16, this is what it says. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So Paul is there in Athens. He looks around. And he sees something that provokes his spirit. The word in Greek can provokes the same words as storm. It means he has a storm within him for what he sees. A guy named Ray Stedman says that at the time there were 30,000 idols in Athens. An idol would be this little figure carving, whatever it is, that someone would worship and pay homage to, maybe for rain or for some kind of blessing. Paul sees all of this and he goes, this isn't right. This isn't right. It's the same way you would maybe go to a dinner party and you would catch maybe the wife in the office between meals. She goes to bow down to the dog and pray to the dog. And you would go, what are you doing? He says, this dog is Lord, right? And you'd go, well, that's just crazy. That's not right. That's not okay. Something within you would go, it's like a Labrador. I don't know what to tell you here. There's be something within you go, you've got to stop worshiping this dog. And this is what Paul Paul sees these idols uh, and, and something's provoked within it. So verse 17, so he reasoned because of what he saw. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout uh, devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. We've got to sit on verse 17. 
uh, for a moment, verses 17 and 18, because it's going to uh, kind of peel away with ultimately where we want to go. I want you to look at verses 17 and 18. I want you to see something. There are three different types of people that um, Luke, who's the writer of this book, identifies that Paul begins to converse with. Three different types of people. The first is the Jew, the devout person who's committed to the one God but isn't getting it right. There is the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who sees that one God and says, no, that's wrong. I have my own God. I have my own way. And then there are people who are just in the marketplace. I don't know if you see that there at the end of verse, uh, verse 17. It says, those who happen to be there. So it's kind of people who just don't really honestly care about one way. There's 30,000 gods around them. And yeah, that's just kind of how it is. I don't know what to tell you. I just want to get oranges. Like that's all I'm here for. And so, so Paul sees these three people. And in the same way, uh, we could use to kill a mockingbird to identify symbols for our own heart. I want you to see that these three people are in this room right now. There might be other types of people, but there's no doubt these same three types of people are in this room right now. The first is the Jew that he, he, he begins to converse with, the devout person. Uh, devout has this uh, connotation to it that they are all in. The problem with the Jews is they follow the one true God. They have this true form of, of the real religion, but the reality is they keep missing it. And, and as you come to find out, they're following more of their own ways, um, hiding behind God's law, right? And so, so, so hear me when I say this. Now, I, I got to be, I'm sure I see this all the time. Like, I get it. You say you're a Christian, but you're not kidding anybody. Like even my six-year-old daughter can see this. She has a friend. She goes, Eliana says she's a Christian, but I can see her. She's not, right? And I go, wow, Pharisee. Um, okay, how am I doing, sweetie? Am I good? Okay. So, so, so here's the deal. Like all judgment aside, I get it. You say you listen to Jesus, but you don't listen to Jesus. And it's, like, who are you kidding? You listen to NPR. You listen to Hannity. You, you listen to your favorite podcast. You listen to yourself, but you don't listen to Jesus. You have this form of this religion, but it ain't the real deal. Now, now, some of you are in this room, and you have a different religion altogether, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and you actually look at that person and go, yeah, they're fake. It's kind of crazy because though they have um, a false form of the true religion, you have a true form of a false religion, and both are wrong. And, and I would love to contend with you, um, as Paul's going to do with uh, some people here in a minute, but, but equally wrong. And then there's this third party that, honestly, you're here because it's Easter, and it's just whatever you do. And you're going to leave, and it's just going to be steady as she goes. And honestly, you don't even really care. You don't even really understand why it matters. Buddhists, Christianity, why does it all matter? I mean, you could, they're all the same anyway, which ironically would put you in the position of seeing all religions equally. That way you've decided. There's a whole thing on that that I take issue with. But you've got a coexist bumper sticker. You seem to know very well about all these religions, even though all these religions tell you they're not the same. And so I'm declaring before you, Christianity is saying it is better than all religions. Jesus is above and beyond all those religions. We're not the same of any of those religions. Now, hear me, that, that matters. That should matter to you. Now, if you're just in the marketplace, you kind of go, I don't care. I'm just, again, here to buy my oranges. It doesn't matter to me. Those three people need to be addressed, and that is who Paul is addressing. So from there, what happens is these people go, specifically the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, they love to hear new ideas. They love philosophies. And so from 18 to 21, verses 18 to 21, they go, okay, 
Paul, tell us more about this. We want to hear more about this. And so they're going to bring him to an area called Mars Hill. So if you look at verse 22, about, I don't know, eight or nine words in, you're going to see a word that it's called, this is how it's pronounced, Areopagus, Areopagus. They bring Paul to what is called Mars Hill, this Areopagus. This is what happens. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, see that in every way, I'm sorry, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So the first section, he's going to come out swinging. He's going to say, how you worship, what you worship, who you worship is wrong. But there's a trick in what he does here. I need you to hear it because he encapsulates all these people, all people, anybody who's who's breathing right now, he's putting under this one domain, even though you might fight against it. Let me argue for it a, for it a second, for it, uh, just for a, a quick second. It, it's this idea, what you're doing is religious. As he looks around, he sees the 30,000 gods and just in case we missed one, here's one God to an unknown God. And, and you may go, no, I, I'm, I'm not religious. I want nothing to do with that. Paul goes, listen, that's not an option. Like the people who are giving their life away to something, you're, you're doing something. You may not be singing to someone, but you're giving money, you're giving energy, you're giving time, you're giving emotions, you're giving who you are away to something, political views, whatever it is. And Paul encapsulates this in worship. I even have a friend growing up who everything he does is about being anti-religious. Dare I say, his religion is anti-religious. He's very religious about being anti-religious. And so, so what Paul does is he's saying, no, you're worshiping, you're just worshiping blindly. You don't even know who you worship. Like, what gets you up in the morning? What's your purpose? What's this whole thing all about? And Paul begins to just break this down, and then he gives answers. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And does not live in temples built by human hands and is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So now he begins to put in place what he's removed. And he makes this declaration in your religion. You know, the religion that uh, looks a lot like you, like the Jesus you looks a lot like the Democrat Jesus or the Republican Jesus. It's crazy how much Jesus looks like you in that way. That same religions, uh, that same religion. See, in that religion, you get to control God. He's in temples, he's in relics. You get to control the way that he operates. How he feels about you is what you get to control. And Paul goes, no, 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 hear me. The true God, you don't get to control. You don't get to control him. And so, hear me, you can fight and earn and try to, try to get your way to grace all you want so you can be in good standing with him. But I'm telling you, he gives it away. He gives it away. He's not in temples. He's not in half-dos. He just gives it away. But he's not done. Listen, he says this, for one man, he, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. So then he goes on to say, listen, it's not just that you don't get to control him. He's in charge, but hear me. Um, if I was to ask you your address right now, you would be able to go, yeah, okay. Six, eight, one, nine, blah, 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 blah. Right. Okay. I didn't want to say my address out what loud. I thought that would be weird. Okay. So you, you know your address. What he just said here is, you live where you live. 
You live there where you live when you live there because he put you there. The reason you live, you, well, I went on Zillow and found, no, no, hear me. You live where you live. Your kids go to school where they go. You work where you work at the time right now where you are in this stage of life because God has you there amidst the death, amidst the brokenness, amidst the loss, amidst the pain. God has you there. He has you there. Here's why he has you there. He has you there. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far off from any of us. For in him we live, we move, and we have our very being. As some of your own prophets have said, we are his offspring. So you live where you live, work where you work, your kids go to school where they go to to school at, at the time that is right now, so that you would seek him. You're here on this earth not to worship yourself, not to worship the other 30,000 gods, but to worship this one true God. And it's crazy because he quotes um, one of their poets and he's going, you get the idea of worship. You, you get, he quotes, like you see it, but, but it's, it's, it's construed, it's missed. You're missing the mark. Let me turn it over here. Not all of your ideas, all of your philosophies, all of your ways. Not, could they be wrong? Let, let, let's, let's get a correct north here. So from there, he says in verse 29, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. So let's just summarize what Paul has said in front of all these people. Okay, he has said, number one, God made all people, pre-appointed the times, the boundaries of their dwelling. He did that. He did this so that they could recognize and see that their ways are not awesome, that though they think they know all about politics, all about parenting, all about neighboring, no, no, they're wrong, and we need to repent as a people. And then ultimately, listen to this, at the end there, that ultimately he's going to come and judge our motives, he's going to come and judge our actions, he's going to come and judge us. This is what Paul put in front of us. This is, this is Paul's sermon to these types of people. Now, when we hear this, that's from, again, our Christian worldview. Paul doesn't end there because um, he says, here's how we could know our worldviews right, though. Maybe you absolutely disagree with everything I just put in front of you. Paul says, but we have something that actually makes what I'm saying fact. He says this, he has given proof of this. He's given proof that, that everything we just laid out, that he's going to come to judge the living and the dead. We need to repent. We are where we are because God wants us here to seek him. This is all true. We know this is fact. You ready? He has proven, uh, he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The resurrection confirms what we said from the jump, right? The beginning. It confirms our worldview. Which means this, believer or non-believer, you need to deal with the resurrection. You need to deal with the resurrection. Because there's no halfway in, halfway out. There's no moderate Christianity. As a matter of fact, Tim Keller, I thought, has a great quote when he says this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Now, Paul explains this 
And there are three responses, which gets to our text that Sarah read. This is where we'll wind down. There are three responses. And can I just put this in front of you? These are the only three responses to what I've tried to share with you this morning. There's only three responses. Verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, notice what offends them. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst. Look at verse 34. But some men joined him and believed. There are three responses. If you're in this room right now, and we don't use the word often sneer, right? I I doubt you're sneering, but maybe inside, right? You're going, this is stupid. This is ridiculous. You believe somebody actually rose from the dead? There's nothing that I'm going to do or Facebook thread or some Reddit thread is going to convince you otherwise, FYI, right? So, so hear me. I can't do anything about that. My hope is one day you would change your view. I pray that would be the case. But there's also another person in the room who, who has chosen to believe. And maybe even now go, okay, yeah, I'm in. I, I choose to believe. But then there's a, a, another person in the view, the third person, this, the, the, the last few, is, and you can see in the text, look at it. We shall hear you again concerning this. So, so hear me. Um, the resurrection matters for all the reasons I laid out. And I don't mean just like, like Instagram or Fortnite matters. I mean like your soul matters. Because like the day of ignorance of you going, I don't know, why does it, who cares? That day is gone. And what we see, if the resurrection is true, then there is going to be a judgment. Which means you do need to decide. And so you will stand before him and you will have to give reasons why or why not. And I'm telling you, the why nots aren't going to last very long. And so hear me, if you're in this place where you're going, I want to hear more about this. Yes and amen to that. I'm actually grateful that you wouldn't just jump in and you would process this well. And we want to do that. And I'll give you some directions to do that uh, here in a little bit. But I want to finish uh, to the believer, because if you're not a believer in here, that is where you are, and you're going, I want to wrestle a little bit more. But to the believer, it's important that you know this. Um, I know there are days that you feel like it's just uh, like I'm crazy. Not me, like you. You feel like you're crazy. <laughs> I'm definitely not crazy. Um, I get it. Like, pick a random May 8th. You're going to wake up, and you're going to go like, God, I... I believe someone rose from the dead. I feel like everyone around me, like there's more and more non-believers than there are believers. It feels like my worldview collapses sometimes. I don't understand what to do with this. There's cognitive dissonance. I feel like I read something in the Bible and I'm confused. I feel like it's a trudging. Do I really believe this? How do I know? How do I know? Hear me when I say this. It really happened. It really happened. And I know you doubt it. I I know there are moments where you can't get your mind around it. But hear me. This deal really happened. As someone who struggled and did the legwork, the factual work to find out what can we know, how do we reason through this, it happened. He really did rise from the dead. Your sins really are forgiven. You're not crazy. You're not crazy. One day he will return to judge the living and the dead. Communion of the saints is a real, real thing. That we should repent to one another. That we should worship him. That's real. You are walking the right path. You will not be on the wrong side of history. He really rose from the dead. That's true. That's true. Let that sink into your soul. You're not crazy. And have faith. Have faith. He will return. Let me pray. Father, thank you.
for who you are. Thanks for your goodness uh, towards us, your grace towards us. I pray, God, that um, you would stir our hearts and you would remind us that these are truths that our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents all wrestled with. Our soul matters, and it all seems to hinge on the fact, Jesus, of whether or not you rose from the dead. And so as a believer, on behalf of the believers in this room, we declare, thank you. Thank you that you defeated death. Thank you that you beat sin. Thank you that we now go from life to better life, and we don't have to taste the sting of death. Though our hearts um, hurt at times, though we feel pain, though we struggle with what's going on, though we have doubts, our faith, faith wavers, though that's all true, we can remember this one fact. You rose from the dead. Thank you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.